0: Welcome to Terminal Talk, a podcast on mainframe and mainframe related topics. I'm Frank. And I'm Spooky Haunted Jeff. <laughs> Guess what day we're doing this recording on. And we have with us a reoccurring guest Just on the podcast. Just can't get rid of him.
1: No, a third podcast. So wait, the first one was the first episode. Yes. The very
0: first episode. The very
1: first episode. Twice I did it. Yes. Yeah, because
0: something happened. It Some, was a technical difficulty.
1: Right. Which which the show is certainly not, you know
0: <laughs> immune to
1: not immune to. Uh, <laughs> you were also on the Christmas special. I was. Uh, the holiday special. Holiday yes, special. The holiday special. Was and what was the other one? I
0: think you were on you were also on I did another for one. The, yeah. He did the the retrospective when we did a year thing. Yeah. Yep. So he he's he's like like a bad penny. He keeps coming back.
2: Mm-hmm. A bad penny. When is that phrase from? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, the year was nineteen fifty-two. <laughs> <laughs> Wore a turnip around
0: my mouth. <clears throat> For those of you who haven't been listening from episode one, it's Anthony Sophia. Glad to be back. And And – you're, this is the first time you've done this in a room that isn't really cramped and small. You're now in the real studio.
2: Yeah, the studio is is great compared to the closet where the table <laughs> didn't fit in the room at all. So,
0: <laughs> And you had to, like, move Frank's shoes out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> great. So um, today, uh, cause, uh, just so everybody knows, Anthony – is at the center of everything cool that's happening on the mainframe these days. So today we'd like him to talk about compression. Right, yep. So, you know, what I'd like to start with is, what what the heck is compression?
1: Well, I mean, it's it's obviously the technology used to fit the mainframe into those 19-inch racks, right? I mean, that's... So, um, I'm gonna say not exactly there, Jeff, <laughs> but...
0: Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry? <laughs> Let,
1: let me
2: a, let me steer us a little bit away from that. It's being a little presumptuous there. <laughs> <laughs> so, compression is. I mean, at the core, Jeff's not entirely wrong. It's Thank taking you. something and making it smaller. And there's lossless and lossy kinds of compression. So you can either have compression where the data comes back exactly, or data or compression where the data is is comes back and not exactly. Kind of like audio compression, where you lose some of the quality, but you get something that's smaller. On Z, we're obviously focused on lossless compression um, because we're focused on doing that to data that matters to our clients. So the whole idea is is crunching down data to make it smaller for storage and less IO.
1: Is there a case for lossful compression with data? Like, is there a time <laughs> when you would you ever want that?
2: I, I, Struggle to see on Z where we would do that. But, right. I mean, for things, you know, audio and video, I mean, those, those are really the places where you, you employ that kind of
1: tech. Yeah, we tend not to use a whole lot of that on Z, though.
2: Not really. So, I mean, you know, what we see in the field generally with, with compression is it's, uh, you know, data sets, data set backups, um, file transfers. You know, any place where you're moving data or storing data, running it through compression first can make a lot of sense. Historically, though, it may not have made a lot of sense. Um, the cost of doing it historically has been very high from a, a compute standpoint for for CPU and memory usage. So, uh, and it would add a lot of latency to whatever you were doing.
0: And yeah, that was the next question I was going to ask. Haven't we been able to do this forever? I mean, it's not like it's new.
2: No, it's it's not. I mean, the the algorithms and the data formats have been around for for decades at this point. Um, what what's new is the ability to really accelerate it in using hardware primitives that reduce that cost of doing the actual operation and make it more economical and more able to be applied broadly.
1: Now, do, you, do we get like um, two levers, one for like how compressed and how fast I want it? Because I imagine there's a huge trade-off there. So
2: from a, a software algorithm standpoint, that is actually the trade-off people generally make, is you know I'll take less compression ratio in order to get it done faster. Or if I'm vaulting that data for for decades, I want to spend as much time as I can to crunch every last ounce of space out of that data because I'm going to save it for a long time and not open it again.
1: And I might be paying by the terabyte by the year or something like that.
2: Exactly. So, you know, how you're cost optimizing gets interesting from that perspective. Now, what we're doing on hardware, you know, on, on Z15, we don't really have those levers because everything is so fast that we don't have to deal with compromising compression ratio at the cost of speed. Oh, wow. So, we don't have, you know, the way you would do that in a software library, we just don't have to worry about that kind of thing once we move to these hardware accelerators.
1: So, is this ZEDC or is this something completely different? So, that's kind of an interesting question. Um,
2: So, on ZEC 12, Z13, Z14, we had the ZEDC Express IO adapter. And then we had the ZEDC software feature that would take advantage of that adapter. You could plug, you know, up to 16 of those into a, a Z14 Keck, and they were just, you know, normal I.O. cards. Each one of those did about a gigabyte per second of sustained throughput, and the whole software ecosystem was enabled to use these. We have a, a whole roadmap of, you know, between access methods and um, backup, restore to network transfer stuff. All of it knew how to talk to those I.O. cards. Hmm. So... From, uh, from, you know, is this still just ZEDC standpoint? It depends where you're standing. Now, what we did was we got rid of those I.O. cards. So when you get your shiny new Z15, you're not carrying any of those forward. Instead, what we did was we took some of the, you know, high real estate space that's on the CPU and we put that compression function into that space. So now every Z15 ships with that compression capability built into the chip.
1: Like into, you, into each CPU core?
2: Into each CPU chip. And the way we actually did it is a little bit different than how we did it when we had an IO adapter. So with the IO adapter, um, in order to do IO, you need to be authorized or, or you know, part of the operating system. Um, and it, it caused us to have to do some unnatural things when a user program wanted to go and access that adapter. Instead of following that model, we actually made this a user space instruction. So if you can't sleep one night and need to read 70 to 80 pages of detailed architecture about how to code this instruction, <laughs> ooh, you could pick it up and do that. Now, you don't have to do that in order to leverage it. What we did is um, the Zlib open source library, we've been shipping with ZOS for you know a number of years now, and that our version on ZOS supports pushing down onto what was just the ZDC Express adapter. Now on Z15, we have what we're calling the integrated accelerator for ZDC, And what we do is Zlib calls the operating system to get access to that IO card. Well, we transparently re-hook it in the operating system so when we're on Z15, we now send it to that new instruction. So you don't have to go and read 70 or 80 pages of architecture in order to leverage this new accelerator on Z15, you just keep using Zlib. And if you haven't used Zlib already, start using it. It's <laughs> what everyone uses when they need compression. So you use zLib, you get compatibility on z15 with hardware, you get compatibility with z15, z14 on hardware, so you can go back and forth regardless of where your program's running and still get acceleration. Now obviously on z15 it's much better
1: um, than it was on the older generation, but you can still take advantage of what's there. So from a, a user experience side, do I just like have like a data set and a data set in, data set out, and I'm referencing this this method? So there's a couple different ways you can you can
2: do it from a user experience. Um, you know if you're writing programs, you can leverage ZLib or leverage Java because Java under the covers pushes down and can do the same thing. So it can use whatever accelerators on that hardware platform. Um, so from an application standpoint, you can do that. If you've enabled compression in any of your uh, middleware, so things like you know MQ, ConnectDirect, or in the access methods themselves through SMS policy, All that configuration carries forward transparent to Z15. You don't have to do anything. So when you get rid of your Z14, re-IPL on a 15, it's just going to start using the new integrated accelerator transparently under the covers for you. All that configuration stays the same. Sweet. So yeah, it's a a completely transparent move. Um, Now, what we did was uh, one of the questions I get a lot is, well, you, you put it on the chip but we liked it on the I/O adapter because it didn't use any resources on the chip. Right. You know the typical mainframe question. Right. Um, so, <laughs> what we actually what we actually do is for you know for specifically for QSAM, you know batch workloads, lots of you know the access methods, um, going synchronous on the chip with the instruction. We, we didn't feel like that was a good approach to take on a machine boundary, um, with the ZDC Express. IO adapter, you had to go asynchronous. You kicked off your work. It went to the IO adapter. From a ZOS perspective, my unit of work yields the CPU. Something else runs, interrupt comes in. I get redispatched. We wanted to keep that operating model because it's working really well in the field. Mm -hmm. There's a high adoption rate of ZDC. Um, The last thing I need is a lot of phone calls because (laughs) things don't work quite right. So we (laughs) wanted to maintain that experience as much as possible. So what we do is actually we have either the ability to call the instruction directly, which we use for things like zLib, where it makes sense, and then for the access methods and other authorized programs, we actually do it asynchronously. We go out and we issue an I.O. and the system assist processor processes that, runs the instruction over on that processor, and then returns back the result with an interrupt. So you, you keep that same operating model even though the underlying technology has changed significantly.
0: But I don't necessarily have as much of a delay, right? Because I'm not going all the way out to...
2: That's correct. So not just are you not going as far out, but the actual operation is running significantly faster. So we have measurements that show about 40% improvement in elapsed time for batch um, as a result of switching from a Z14 to a Z15. Even though you're still going asynchronous, it still drops out of elapsed time significantly.
0: When you say asynchronous, though, um, can it run synchronously?
2: Right now, we're not enabling synchronous support for those authorized methods. Um, you know, obviously, it's something we think about in the lab, but but right now, we really think there's two distinct sets of cases. There's the, I'm a user program running Zlib or Java, and I'm a authorized ZOS program that's gonna
1: do this other method. Right. So how well does uh, the compression um, work with encryption? Like, obviously, we're trying to push people to have data mm-hmm. encrypted all the time, can we say your data can be compressed and encrypted all the time? So that's
2: that's the idea is, you know, you make a good point that once you encrypt data, mm-hmm. the point of encryption is to remove all patterns. <laughs> 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 Compression relies on finding patterns. Right. So if you do them in the wrong order, you end up expanding. Yes. Because um, you know, this,
1: so, this thing looks entirely different even if one bit changed. It, right.
2: right. So, so the – You know, the way that we've mapped out, you know, you look at pervasive encryption for data sets or doing, you know, SSL over network connections, um, plugging in compression first to that dramatically reduces the amount of encryption that has to happen. So we have measurements on Z15 where we do combined compression and encryption specifically around data set access and see, you know, significant benefits there. Um, So not just you get processing benefits, but also, once that data is encrypted and it flows over I.O. to disk and gets replicated, no infrastructure can compress that data anymore. So if you're doing a long-haul link that might have in-stream compression, you're not going to compress it there. So move that compression up to the host. You know, it's it's painless to do that now. Compress it, encrypt it, then move that smaller encrypted blob around once it has to go somewhere.
0: Once, once I've done that, though, it becomes very much a ZOS Object,
2: kind of. So, and this is actually a good point. Is is the ZDC support for you know Z fourteen and below has been a very ZOS centric story, um, for a couple of reasons. the The, the I O card was was not heavily virtualized, so from a, a lots of guests environment, it didn't really map that well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the software stack on ZOS was was far more mature, taking advantage of this I O card because it was more available to, to ZOS environments. Um, because this is now just a problem state instruction, anyone can call it. It doesn't need to be virtualized. So Linux environments can actually call this instruction as just as well as the ZOS environment could. And whether it's running under, under ZVM or wherever, it, it doesn't matter. It's part of the instruction set architecture now. So there is work in getting, um, you know, so Java is uh, shipping a new version. So on Linux on Z, you can leverage the new encryption on Java, or excuse me, new compression on Java using the instruction. Um, as well as other exploitation throughout the Linux ecosystem. But a lot of that is all based on non-IBM-owned distributions. So we need to wait for the distributions to to roll the support. And so it's a bit of a different model than what I'm used to in ZOS, where we can just go and crack the OS open and start shipping stuff. Um, But we are definitely looking at how we can now leverage this across the Linux environment as well, because there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, So you're not necessarily creating ZOS blobs Either because the compression we're doing is is industry standard um, it's you know complies with you
1: know deflate all capitals um, <laughs> you can't get that on audio too well <laughs> for those listening at home deflate. Yeah. <laughs> Anthony waved his arms thusly <laughs> <laughs> so it all com- it, it's all deflate compliant so
2: if I if I make a, a compressed you know gzip file on ZOS or Linux on Z I can move that to my laptop and, and unzip it and and vice versa. So it all moves around. That also means that my Z14 and Z15 talk completely compatibly because they're all running on the same standard. So I don't have to worry about, well, I compress data on my Z14. How's my Z15 going to read it? It's just going to work. There's nothing that you have to be concerned with there.
0: Do you get concerned that this kind of thing makes ETL easier?
2: That is a good and pointed question. Um, So I don't, necessarily know that ETL data is always wrong. I think there's a place for, you know, you have to move data sometimes, you have to keep it resident sometimes. Um, Compression doesn't necessarily make ETL more cost effective because it still has to land somewhere. And when it lands on another platform, that other platform is not going to have compression acceleration to open up that data produced on ZOS. So, you know, this technology really helps Z to Z kind of float, where you have acceleration on both sides. You know, when you go Z to, to distributed environments, you can compress on Z really fast, but that distributed environment is going to be the the rate limiting factor now. So it, it doesn't really create a better ETL workflow, except from a, a bandwidth usage perspective, which it, inside of an organization
1: probably is not an issue anyway. Right. So the the uh, the card based ZEDC solution has or ZEDC Express solution has kind of been around for a while, mm-hmm. is uh, and I imagine that the the reason uh, the reasoning behind going on, kind of on chip is not even not probably not as much of a technical um, by itself, but also like a business decision to make. Do most Z customers already use or are they already using that type of uh, compression? So it's interesting when we
2: when we initially ship the ZDC Express card on the EC12 and then on the Z13, we had a maximum number of cards you could plug in of eight. Uh huh. We doubled that on Z14 to 16. Which, which tells the story. Which t- <laughs> st- t- starts to tell the story. <laughs> yeah. Now you look at, well, what's what's the curve there? How many I.O. slots do I want to start chewing up with these cards versus, you know, designing, now that we know that there's significant value there, our, our, you know, the IBM Z customer base has seen that, now we can go and, and you know, apply for, you know, uh, higher real estate area in, in the chip and, and actually move that function to something more integrated. And it, it follows, a I think, a very typical pattern of, you know, build an accelerator that's loosely coupled and, and integrated as the business value drives it. You know, we're, we're seeing that in a, in a few spaces, and, and this is a perfect example of that. You know, we did something with the I.O. card, um, prove the value, and then go implement it in the CPU, you know, a couple generations later.
1: Especially those cards, like, don't have any ports on them. Oh, right. Yes. <laughs>
2: when it's just a just a, just a processor on it. So yeah, um, I
1: mean, and the way that the Z15 is laid out with like the the A, Z, B, and C frames, I forget what order it goes. I, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you could if somebody if somebody wanted to just have. Maximum capacity, capacity compression. They would probably have one frame just full of, you know, cableless cards over there. Right. It would be. It. It was going to start to get silly. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, if you start
2: having thirty-two I/O slots of, of compression cards, someone's going to wonder what are you doing. Right. You know, <laughs> clearly the engineers are drunken disorderly somewhere.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, if you are going to have lots of little processors, you might as well move over to the CPC right. area. So, so just to put put some of that to scale,
2: you take a, a Z fourteen with sixteen of these cards in it. The Z15, a fully populated one, has 17 times more total throughput than that Z14. Uh-huh. So, you know, we've far exceeded where you'd get to with 32 or even 64 cards. It's, it's you know, this clearly is a, a game-changing technology with respect to capacity planning and micromanaging what's happening on those cards. You can kind of just, you know, there's a lot of capacity there now.
1: So if customers really want to get their money's worth out of the Z15, they should start finding out ways to work compression into the workloads. Everything. Everything. Yeah.
2: So, so there's a whole litany of use cases. And typically, you know, people will focus on one or two of them. Now open up the aperture, you know, starting with Z15. Absolutely.
0: How hard would it be to, to kind of do homomorphic computing um, with compressed data?
2: I'm just sitting and thinking for a moment here. It was a loaded question, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'll, I'll actually answer that a little bit differently. On Z15, decompression is so fast. Why, why would Why would you? You know, it's almost as fast as moving data. Um, you know, you, you wouldn't need. It's not like encryption where the cost of encrypting and decrypting is so high, and then the security concerns over having the data in the clear is so high that it's driving us towards things like homomorphic. Um, but for compression, it's kind of like well. I'm not getting any, any safety in the data by compressing it, and if I can decompress it at, you know, as very fast, then I'll just decompress oh, it and do my op, yeah, exactly. I'm not really aware of a whole lot going on in that space either, so. But I, I think in, on Z, it's, it, we really answered the question through our technology.
1: So uh, we're getting close to the top of the hour, and uh, I just wanted to point out to everybody here that I was right.
0: Uh, right about what?
1: That in compression lets us make the machine smaller. Because we don't need all those EDC Express cards over there.
0: Well, certainly a point of of as we start to leverage these technologies, we need less cards. It Is sounds
1: that... like that's a fancy way of saying Jeff. You're right. Anyway, <laughs> um, as the machine evolves, and I don't think the machine has maybe you know other than like the bipolar to CMOS has evolved as much as it has in the past like two three years right now. Does this open up the platform for workloads and different size workloads that just weren't you know? available before? Absolutely. I mean, I, I I kind of agree with you. You were
2: right at the top Thank podcast. Thank you. Um, Don't you know, do
0: that. You're making it worse. I, I, I
2: need to get my invite back in six months. So <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. But yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, when you look at the amount of data, not just the people are retaining, it certainly isn't getting smaller, but the number of copies of retained data for, for you know, replication and HA environments and safeguarded copy, I, you know, people are just copying, copying and copying, copying data to the point where you know you have to start finding ways to make that more economical just based on floor space and and iO infrastructure and and everything required there. So I think you know Z is definitely the leading edge here with respect to being able to provide, you know just a full stack view of optimization for workloads going forward to to help our clients with those kinds of issues.
0: And not only shrinking the machine, but shrinking the entire data set footprint or er, sorry, data center Foot- footprint. Yeah. Right. Wow, I, I hate it when he's right.
2: I know. I, I'm I'm I i i do not feel right about it myself.
0: <laughs> Thank you. So so what is the Ooh. future for this? Or are we already at it? Is is there more turns of the crank or what do you think?
2: The future. <laughs> I th- I think I mean I think the you know, to some extent the future is now. I mean this this is a a, a really huge step forward technology wise. Um you know, now, now the opportunity is there. You know, we've, we've moved again to the point where we've shrunken the footprint for doing compression. Um, you know, does that enable even more usage than we had before? You know, we did this exercise and we introduced the I.O. card. Now, time to do the exercise again. You know, what else can we start to do now that we have this, this kind of engine and this kind of technology uh, in the Z-platform?
1: And other than reading the 86-page uh, manual, is there anywhere people can go to kind of get a, a, another briefer on this?
2: Yeah, I mean there's there's um, uh, content solutions on, on IBM.com. I think I've got a little video up there where I do a 40-second song and dance. So, you know, go out there, Google this stuff. It, it's all readily accessible. You can get a lot of information.
0: We Google it with your name or do we? I,
2: I don't know what might come up then. Um,
0: LAUGHTER Staying in, <laughs>
2: <laughs> but yeah, there's there's a ton of information out there on this stuff. You know, we've been we've been really leading you know the industry from a from the compression standpoint for a while. So um, you know, go out there and Google this stuff, and, and you'll find tons of information both on IBM.com and, and other presentations that have been done.
1: I have one more question um, from from like a configuration standpoint. You said you move this. This is moved into the the user space. It's not like an IO card. So. Typical setup of like an I/O card is like I I say this is available to mm-hmm. this CSS and all this kind of stuff. Is that just not there anymore? I just call it like, oh. is, and there's no point in fencing it off. Correct. There,
2: there is no I/O gen you need to do to update for for this uh, starting on Z15. So awesome. it, it is just literally you can code an assembler instruction, and you're off and running, more or less, with the 86 pages of documentation at first. <laughs> but, but like I said, you, use the software interfaces we provide because they are, are very easy and transparently go move between machines. So,
1: so 86 pages of reading and some assembly programming that, that sounds like a fun evening for me. So I'm <laughs> I'm sold.
0: When you as a programmer, I I'm going to code to this to this new interface. Mm-hmm. Is there any levers that the sysprog has for for managing that work um, when when the developers start using it?
2: So we, we did on Z14 and below. So we, we gave the sysprog ways to not allow certain problem state users to, to <laughs> run IOs on the card. We've removed that because now it's a documented instruction. So everyone has, you know, just like you could do a move character long, you can go do this now. So yeah, from a system programmer standpoint, it's just baked into the architecture. It's hands, hands off. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, cool. Jeff, you're going to go write an assembler program here? I, I'm, I'm doing it as we <laughs> speak.
0: <laughs> like to see that happen. So um, we're now definitely at the bottom of the hour. want to thank you very much, Anthony, for coming again. Thank you for having me this. back.
2: I'll, I'll expect my invite in six months.
0: Well, actually, I think we might have to have you before that because there's other really cool stuff you're working on. There.
2: As you said, I'm at the center of a lot. So, I yeah, I think I'll be in this room quite a bit over the next couple of weeks.
0: Cool. Yeah,
1: I think our, our um, guest schedule might be a little bit compressed. Get it?
0: Old man Charlie, yeah. run us out. All right. You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at TerminalTalk.net. That's contact at TerminalTalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence signing off.